Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The decadent playboy and Guinness heir whose tragic death inspired a Beatles classic and sounded the death knell of the swinging 60s by Paul Howard. The death of Tara Brown at 21 inspired the opening lines of a Beatles classic. And now a brilliant new biography of the society playboy's short but decadent life reveals how he introduced Paul McCartney to LSD and put the swing into the 60s just after midnight on the 18th of December, 1966, in a London And now a brilliant new biography of the society playboy's short but decadent life reveals how he introduced Paul McCartney to LSD and put the swing into the 60s just after midnight on the 18th of December, 1966, in a London festooned with Christmas lights. 21-year-old Tara Brown, a Dublin-born brewerier, music lover, style icon, racing car driver and sometime Vogue model lost control of his light blue Lotus Elan in South Kensington, London, and collided with a black van. His passenger, girlfriend Suki Potia, later claimed that Brown wasn't going particularly fast although that would have been wildly out of character for the speed-obsessed young aristocrat. In her version of events, a white car either a Volvo or an E-type Jaguar, never traced emerged unexpectedly from a side street and forced Tara to swerve. Tara Brown and wife Nikki photographed for Vogue. Tara was a central figure in the counterculture scene of 60s London plus 14 Tara Brown and wife Nikki photographed for Vogue. Tara was a central figure in the counterculture scene of 60s London Brown's final act in life was to pull the steering wheel to ensure that he, not Suki, took the full impact of the collision. A gentleman to the very end said his friend, the model and actress Anita Pallenberg. A month after that fatal crash and the day after Brown's mother Una won custody of her late son's two small children in the high court John Lennon suffering from writer's block during the making of the Beatles' SGT Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album, propped a copy of the Daily Mail on his piano music stand and turned over the front page. There, in the middle of page three, was an article headlined, Guinness Air Babies Stay with Grandmother. John had heard about Tara's death, though unlike Paul McCartney, he hadn't known him well. The two Beatles had just been discussing whether or not Brown, son of Lord Oranmer and Brown, would have inherited his father's seat in the House of Lords had he lived. Lennon touched the piano keys and out came the opening line of a song, 50 years on, Tara Brown is familiar to many as the man in the first verse of the Beatles' A Day in the Life, 
who blew his mind out in a car and then drew a curious crowd of onlookers who wondered whether he was from the House of Lords. Sung by John in a disembodied, almost spectral voice, A Day in the Life is considered by many to be the Beatles' greatest song a musical high point of the decade and a haunting coda to an album that represented the last hurrah of swinging London. To the pop stars, models and aristocrats who knew him, the tragic end of Tara Brown had a similar significance. Singer Marianne Faithfull, with whom Brown had a little scene weeks before his death, would later describe the news of Tara's fatal crash as like a death knell sounding over London. Palinberg, girlfriend of Tara's close friend, the doomed Rolling Stones guitarist Brian Jones, said that after Brown died, the 60s weren't the 60s anymore. Rich, handsome and effortless cool, Tara was the living, breathing quintessence of swinging London a dandy with the air of a young prince, always right on the heartbeat of the moment in everything he did, whether introducing Paul McCartney to the mind-expanding possibilities of LSD in his Belgravia muse, turning heads in his psychedelic AC Cobra or gadding about London's West End with Peter Sellers or Roman Polanski. Brown thrilled to danger of any kind experimenting with the newest drugs, shooting the breeze with the East End villains who popped into his motor repair shop in Chelsea, and tearing up the King's Road in a low-slung sports car, a record player built into its dash, the needle skipping across the vinyl as he weaved through the traffic. Born in 1945, Tara was the younger son of Dominic Brown, the fourth Lord Oranmer and Brown and Unaginess, a glamorous society beauty and member of the sixth generation of the Brewing Dynasty, whose surname was as famous as Ireland itself. His parents divorced when he was young, and Tara rarely saw the inside of a classroom, forming his personality at the feet of his mother's coterie of writers, intellectuals and aristocratic black sheep, including the painter Lucian Freud film director John Huston and writer Brendan Behan. Even as a small child, he was precocious to a degree that would leave strangers open-mouthed in shock. During his mother's dinner parties at Lugala, her grand gothic home in Ireland's Wicklow Mountains, he would walk down the centre of the table barefoot in blue satin pyjamas, greeting the guests. At the age of eight, while other children sat meekly in school, Tara was on one of Huston's film sets in Italy, watching Humphrey Bogart arm wrestle the eccentric, flamboyantly homosexual writer Truman Capote for money. As a 13-year-old, sophisticated far beyond his years, he travelled everywhere in his mother's chauffeur-driven Rolls-Royce splurging a pound 7.20 a month allowance at a time when the average industrial wage for a man was £546 per year. By the time he was 18, having already travelled the world with his vivacious mother, Brown was married with a child, but that didn't stop the charming, well-connected young man finding his true purpose at the centre of a suddenly swinging London. He became a central character at a club near Leicester Square called the Ad Lib, the hippest of London hotspots, where Britain's once sacred class structure was being shaken like a snow globe, 
as pop stars and criminals mingled with debutantes, aristocrats and it was rumoured royalty, in the form of Princess Margaret. On any given night, you might see Terence Stamp catching up with his old housemate Michael Caine, David Bailey and Jean Shrimpton twisting on the dance floor, or John Lennon and Paul McCartney, home from conquering new worlds. On any given night, you might see Terence Stamp catching up with his old housemate Michael Caine, David Bailey and Jean Shrimpton twisting on the dance floor, or John Lennon and Paul McCartney, home from conquering new worlds and sharing their experiences with Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, who would soon be making the same crossing to America. Tara was absolutely central to it remembered 60s socialite Jane Ormsbegore. We were meeting people from different walks of life, but we needed somebody in the middle saying, oh, so and so, have you met such and such? And that was what Tara did. In the great social switch I art of the ad lib, it was inevitable that Tara and McCartney would meet. One had a ravenous curiosity about the world, the other, the assured air of a privileged young man who had seen and done it all. Introduced by McCartney's brother Mike, they bonded over clothes, cars, music and drugs. From that moment on, Tara took Paul into his circle of high-born friends. Tara and his wife Nikki's muse house in Eaton Row, Belgravia, became the center of an after-hours scene. Every Friday morning. Nikki bought five dozen eggs to make breakfast for whichever guests had improvised beds for themselves on the living room floor. The house was always strewn with bodies she remembered. You never knew who was a beetle, who was an animal, who was a trog and who was a pretty thing. Peter Sellers and his wife, Britt Eakland, who were living around the corner, popped in from time to time and Roman Polanski was another regular caller. Tara and the Rolling Stones' Brian Jones would drink the finest Hein cognac, listen to Bob Dylan and the Beach Boys and shove the furniture against the wall to play with Tara's latest Scalextric set. Tara didn't impress both of the chief Beatles. Nicky remembered John Lennon being at Eaton Row, drunk, with Sellers. Tara gave John a copy of Pygmalion, George Bernard Shaw's 1913 play Lampooning, of all things, Britain's rigid class system. But John was still too class conscious to ever warm to Tara, according to Nicky. I think he really sneered at people from Tara's background she said. With Paul, it was a different matter and the pair would share dangerous adventures that would alter the course of the band. Tara quickly picked up on the arrival in London of psychedelic drugs. LSD changed the landscape of swinging London utterly, and it was Brown who introduced McCartney to the drug. The prospect of taking LSD terrified Paul. I'd not wanted to do it he told Barry Miles his friend and the author of the authorized biography, many years from now. However, he knew he would succumb to peer pressure in time, 
and an opportunity presented itself one night back in Tara's muse, in the company of various friends and a handful of girls from Cool Haunt the Scotch of St. James. According to Nikki, Tara didn't take it that night. Because it was Paul's first time she said, he felt it was important for him to stay lucid just in case Paul had a bad trip. And what Paul did was he spent his whole trip looking at this art book of mine called Private View. He wasn't interested in any of the females there. He wasn't interested in listening to music either. He just stared at this art book. Paul had an engagement the following day, but he couldn't get it together. When Brian Epstein's secretary tracked him down to Tara and Nikki's muse, he told her he had flew and asked her to cancel his commitments for the day. For all McCartney's ambivalence about taking acid, it would have a profound effect on him. The Stones, who were fast earning a reputation as dangerous delinquents, also hit it off with Tara's circle of switched-on, decadent Chelsea friends. Mick Jagger in particular had the Arivists' hunger to be taken to the bosom of the aristocracy. His future girlfriend Marianne Faithful famously characterized him as someone who would attend dinners given by any silly thing with a title and a castle. The rough musicians and the posh young men bonded over their shared interest in art, music, clothes, drink, drugs and, once they all got to know each other a little better, sexual partners. These aristocratic kids were meeting these musicians on equal terms, because they had all the same things in common they were all young, good-looking and rich said Faithful. Tara and Brian Jones hit it off instantly. With their Carnaby Street threads and their identical pudding bowl haircuts, they resembled twins. In the dark recesses of the ad-lib, they were often mistaken for each other. Excuse me a stranger would say, interrupting Tara, mid-conversation, aren't you that chap from? Sorry Tara would answer, cutting them off, I'm actually the chap's younger brother. Paul's moped mystery Paul McCartney's invitation to Tara and wife Nikki to visit Liverpool at Christmas 1965 would write a strange chapter into Beatles lore plus 14 Paul McCartney's invitation to Tara and wife Nikki to visit Liverpool at Christmas 1965 would write a strange chapter into Beatles lore Paul McCartney's invitation to Tara and wife Nikki to visit Liverpool at Christmas 1965 would Write a strange chapter into Beatles lore. Paul rented a pair of mopeds, and on Boxing Day night, after smoking several joints, Paul and Tara went for a ride. When they returned a few hours later, Paul's face was heavily swollen and stitched up. He had gone over the handlebars, breaking a front tooth and splitting his lip. The spill would later become the source of the outlandish but nonetheless enduring Paul is dead conspiracy theory. In 1969, three years after Tara's death, 
a rumor started by students on a university campus in Iowa claimed that Paul McCartney was dead, citing clues in Beatles' album covers. One theory, which still circulates on the internet, suggested that Paul was killed when he crashed his moped, and that he was replaced by a look-alike Tara Brown. They said Tara had had cosmetic surgery to make him look like Paul Nicky remembered. I always thought that Tara would have been very amused by that story. Brown and Jones were partners in crime, and would head into the Brown and Jones were partners in crime, and would head into the countryside in Brian's Black Rolls Royce, tripping on acid. We'd drive to Staffordshire to look for UFOs said Pallenberg, Brian's girlfriend at the time. We'd stay up all night, just lying on a hillside, looking up at the sky, then we'd drive back to London. Tara himself soon came to wider attention. In 1965, he appeared in the fashion magazine Gentleman's Quarterly, and the following year posed with Brian Jones for a Vogue spread on how men's clothes had become informed by women's fashion. While launching his own boutique, Dandies, and conducting an affair with model Amanda Lear allegedly given to Tara as a 21st birthday present by wife Nikki who didn't reckon on the pair falling in love Brown spent most of 1966 disqualified from driving thanks to a speeding ticket. But he still had fun with his AC Cobra, painted in all the colors of the rainbow by the people who would later paint Paul McCartney's famous upright piano. It was a car so of the moment that art dealer Robert Fraser exhibited it in his gallery window. By the end of the year, However, Tara's life was in chaos. His marriage was unspooling. He lost Amanda to the great surrealist Salvador Dali, who wanted her for a courtier. And his two tiny children were in Ireland, where his mother had taken them, dismayed by how her son and daughter-in-law were behaving as parents. I said to him, Tara, we need to go and get the children back right now. They're our children not hers remembered Nikki, who died in 2012. And that's when he said the strangest thing to me. He said, what's the point? I'm not going to live very long anyway. Tara, normally so cool, so effortless self-possessed, found himself overwhelmed by the weight of worries as Christmas 1966 approached. On Wednesday, the 14th of December, he got his driving license back and wasted no time in getting back behind the wheel in a borrowed Lotus. The night he died, he had a date with new girlfriend Suki, and they left a restaurant on Abingdon Road in South Kensington just before midnight, driving west just for the hell of it, with no particular place to go. Neither alcohol nor drugs were a factor Tara had consumed less than one pint of beer though speed may well have been a cause. Several witnesses claimed he flew past them, accelerating and braking fast, while the car made a loud noise. Seconds later, there was a bang and the sound of the engine stopped. 
Tara suffered a fractured skull and lacerations to his brain. Suki survived with bruises and shock. She held Tara, dying in her arms, while she waited 45 minutes for an ambulance to arrive. He was taken to St. Stephen's Hospital in Fulham. Two hours later, he was pronounced dead. That morning, Brian Jones was doorstepped by a reporter, who broke the news of his friend's death to him. He wept uncontrollably. I am numbed, he said. It's ghastly. He was so full of life. Marianne Faithful agreed. It was the end of the 60s for many people, she said. To have someone who was so so full of joy suddenly taken from you, it made you very pessimistic and cynical about the world which is what we'd all been trying so hard not to be. 60s London wasn't one single scene it was a collection of different ones. Yet, somehow, Tara Brown had seemed to be at the centre of most of them, a first-hand witness to the events and trends that shaped and coloured the decade. What a swell party that was. Eight months before his death, Brown celebrated his 21st birthday with a party at Lugala, the Guinness family's exquisite Gothic revival house in the Wicklow Mountains near Dublin. For one weekend, the world capital of Cool was transplanted to a remote corner of the Irish countryside. Mick Jagger and girlfriend Chrissy Shrimpton were there. So were Jagger's fellow Rolling Stone Brian Jones and his girlfriend Anita Pallenberg, pictured, en route to the party, among a big social stew of pop stars, aristos, debutantes, artists, chancers, billionaires, models and hangerson. Paul McCartney sent his apologies. He wanted to be there, but the Beatles were busy, recording Revolver at Abbey Road. Gunaginess paid Tara's favorite band, American rock band The Loving Spoonful, $10,000 to fly over and play. If you asked me to sum up the 60s in a single moment said Butler, then I would just describe the weekend of Tara Brown's 21st birthday party. At one point, according to the press, a taxi was called to chauffeur an unnamed rock star the 30 miles to Dublin to see Nelson his column in Dublin, which had been blown up by Republicans. Anita and I got it into our heads that Mick Jagger was the devil remembered Tara's wife Nikki. We locked him into the courtyard and then we ran into the woods at the back of the house. We had these Warkaya talkies. We were in the woods and we were talking on these things, out of our heads, and paranoid, of course watching Mick trying to get out of the courtyard. In photos of the night, Tara, wearing one of his signature black velvet suits, looks the epitome of swinging London, young and stylish, with an undeniable air of never had it so good contentedness, a cigarette in one hand and a knowing smile at his lips. By the end of the year, he would be gone.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.